Shameless Media. Hello and welcome to the Shameless Book Club. Today, we are so thrilled to be bringing you this interview between Aussie journalist and award-winning author Trent Dalton and Shameless Media's content coordinator, Sahani Gunatilika. Trent Dalton is the author of so many novels you've probably already read, including Love Stories, All Our Shimmering Skies, and of course, his widely acclaimed semi-autobiographical novel, Boy Swallows Universe, which has been adapted for television and will soon be hitting your Netflix screens. This is actually the second time Trent has joined us on The Shameless Book Club. The first was almost two years ago during one of our lockdowns, where I actually had the pleasure of chatting with Trent via video call about the book we were reviewing on the show at the time, Love Stories. Also a book, actually, that I think I recommend the most to the people in my life. This time around, the wonderful Sahani jumped into the studio with Trent in person to talk about his latest release, Lola in the Mirror, and also to talk about so much more. This is honestly such a beautifully heartwarming conversation to listen to. I mean, you already know that Trent is a captivating storyteller if you've read his written work, and you will also witness that magic in this interview too. From his own life stories to the ones he's come across over the years, Trent shares so, so generously in this episode. I know you guys will adore listening to this one. Okay, let's jump straight into it. Here is Trent and Sahani. Hi, Trent. Welcome back to the Shameless Book Club. Sahani, I am so honoured to be here. I am truly honoured. I love talking to you guys back in the day and you're such a part of my journey. You know, you guys were really supportive, you know, going way back and it has always meant the world to me. So it's really nice to be face to face. You know, I spoke to you guys during terrible COVID times and whatnot. So it's so beautiful to be chatting in person in your beautiful studio. Yeah, and I know so much of the team loved love stories. And like now your new book, Lola in the Mirror, we posted it on our social media and it got so much love. Oh, that means the world. Like I saw that. I saw that review and it was really early days and you don't know what you do as a writer. You don't know what you've done. And it's so wonderful when someone like Rachel who who did that, you know, just sort of lets you know that it was worth something because you don't know how it's going to land. You don't know why you did it. Sometimes it's the readers that tell you those things and um, it puts a spring in your step. Like it makes you fly and it makes you also want to get back to the writing desk and go again. I actually am not one of those people who take that stuff lightly. Like I can't just, I don't just brush it off. Like both sides of it, I don't just brush off the worst ones. Mm. I'm in a fetal position sometimes with the (laughs) things people say about me, but also I fly. You know, yeah. and 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 it's a powerful thing. So it's uh, it's not nothing when someone reads something and takes the time to read a four hundred and something mm. page book and invest their heart and soul in it, and then tell you about it. You know, so it's well, beautiful. I think the overwhelming response for your work is positive. Oh, and for people at home that don't know, Rachel rated Love Stories five and Lola in the Mirror four point five. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is, is brilliant. Thank so, you, Rachel. <laughs> so our listeners at home would know and be very familiar with your books. But mm. what they may not know is that you were a journalist and still are a journalist. Can you tell me a bit about why you've like turned to writing fiction as well? So I had this um, story that was really, it was Boy Swallows Universe. You know, I, I wrote that, I'm 44 now. I wrote Boy Swallows Universe at the age of 38. And I bottled that story up inside me, Sahani, for like, since I was like, for, for maybe three decades, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of terrible how far down I pushed that 
story inside my stomach and it was because of fear and I had a, a wrong kind of fear. I really was a little bit scared of what the world might make of the way I love all the people that are in that book, Boy Swallows Universe. It's highly semi-autobiographical. It's all about, you know, my childhood where my mum had fallen in love with this heroin dealer out in my hometown, Brisbane. And, uh, and it's all about how much I cared for that guy. And it's all about how much I cared for the people that were raising me who went away to prison and their tough times. But it's all about family and hope. And I, I had that story inside me. And then I got this job as a journalist when I'm 20. And I started to go into the communities, into the, the suburbs of my home state, but and then the suburbs of Australia, right around the country, just writing stories about people on the edge of life, you know, going through all the social issues that I was going through. Mm. I was learning so much as a journalist. And I did that for like 17 years. And I was like, I think I'm ready to tell my story now. Mm. And the best way I could tell that story was through fiction because I wanted it to have light. I wanted mm. it to have hope. And, you know, the truth of Boy Swallows Universe, if that was just a purely factual memoir, mm. it'd be beautiful. It'd be really sweet and lovely, but it'd be pretty sad, to be honest. And it'd be complex and there'd be so many highs, but there'd be a lot of lows. And there certainly wouldn't be the kind of universe exploding kind of kiss at the end finale mm. that that book has because life's not like that mm-hmm. real life's not like that and uh so that's why i turned to fiction you know mm. I, I wanted this kid eli bell in that story to do all the things that trent dalton didn't get to do like so you know the kid in that book he's got this dream to bust into this prison to see his mum on christmas day yeah. and that's just that's just me like that's no doubt about it i would have loved to have done such a thing but mm. of course it's very hard to do that in reality you know yeah. and uh so I wanted to turn to fiction and do all those things. And and here's the coolest thing about fiction, though. Unexpectedly, the writing, the fiction, helped the facts. It's, yeah. it's been so bizarre. Like mm. five years or so on from that book, the fact of it is, is that that book unexpectedly is the thing that makes me all good with all of that stuff. Mm. And the unexpected thing is your listeners. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the people who listen to these podcasts of yours and devour books they're the same people who come up to me at book events and go hey that was my mum hey, yeah. hey that was my dad and how does it, that feel like to like see that you've connected with so many people through your like writing your experience can i tell you something really beautiful that i carry around with me um this boy he's like 15 he's from korea right south korea he sends me a, just an Instagram random, you know, drops in. These messages just drop in and I'm really open to it because they're the thing that kind of kicks me off with writing. This kid writes, um, Dear Trent, I have no idea where Dara, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia is, but I just want you to know I read the Korean translation of Boy Swallows Universe and because I read that book, I've decided to live to adulthood. Oh my god! Yeah, That's, sorry. That is heavy. I know, I know. It turned really heavy there, didn't it? I know, but it's, no, it's beautiful though. No, I just saw your face. It was so sweet. Oh, it was so sweet. No, but I'm like I'm I'm on the verge of tears now, and it's like, but it gets me every yeah. time because when you ask me like, well, how does that feel? It's just like, you know, I sent that book to my mum, 
it's really awkward for her, Sahani, that whole book. Like, it's mm. an awkward thing having a son who just <laughs> one day decides to write about Did your life. Did you tell life. her that you would do it? Yeah, totally, totally. And I told all my brothers mm. and, and, uh, and my wife, you know, there's like five people I had to really check with. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and mum was first. And, mm. yeah, it's like, hey, mum, I'm sorry you didn't raise a carpenter. I could have built you a <laughs> cupboard. I wrote you a book. And uh, it's about our shared 1980s. It's inspired by, it's not even a, you know, it's just... I just took all that, those real-life events and just kind of sprinkled some magic over them is all I did. But she still had to – I was like, you got to read this, Mom. And if, if there's anything that you don't like about it, you've just got to let me know, you know, because I'm proud that I came to the full stop. I'm really mm. proud that I came to the final full stop. And that would I, – I, I, please believe me when I tell you that would have been enough. I would have been fine just continuing on with – I love my journalism job. You know what I mean? I didn't mm. I didn't need – I needed to write the book, but I didn't need to see it published. I honestly didn't. Yeah. You know, and I wrote it as that. I was like, no one's going to read this anyway. It's too <laughs> wild and there's secret rooms and there's all these weird metaphysical existential sort of mm. themes to it and stuff. And uh, I send it to mum. She calls me up in like a day and a half later and she's like, yeah, Trent started reading it. Couldn't stop reading it. It's beautiful. Oh. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. You know, let rip. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I I say you know it's you know she she gave us gifts and stuff when we were growing up, but she could never give us like whatever. Could never you know we never inherited anything from my parents. You know, and and but she gave me a story, Sahani, and and it was the most beautiful thing. And she gave me a story, and she gave me her blessing to just go for it full tilt and and she's like and if you're gonna talk about any of the domestic violence stuff in that you better bloody talk about it truthfully mm. and and if you're gonna go there go there hard and and if you're gonna go talk about the power of single mums in australia raising boys you better bloody honor them mm. you know and it's just all these amazing things and then she had she goes but I, however i do have notes and uh, so <laughs> <laughs> she sent me this beautiful thing and it was like Stapled. It was like a Spirax notebook, you know, mm-hmm. those Spirax notebooks. Yeah. It was like 20 of those stapled together <laughs> with like Kilometrico blue ballpoint pen. It was like uh, page 152. <laughs> it's dead set, like mum's handwriting. This stuff should belongs in the Queensland Museum. It's like uh, page 152. Um, a kilo of heroin didn't cost that in 1986. <laughs> it's all these amazing notes. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, page 164. They never serve lamb cutlets in prison. You know, it's, it's all this amazing stuff. And it was so beautiful. And then, yeah, and then it's go through the brothers, you know. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever this is going to cause you, you know, but I had to do it. So please read it and just let me know how you think. And they all come back, you know, and they're just like, man, go for it. Go for it. Because they know... Um, they know for me the alternative is bourbon, you know, mm. like that's it. Like it's just, it's better that. It's better writing it than drinking it, you know. Mm. And that's just so powerful. Like that's just, you know, at some point you've got to confront it. You At some point you've got to process it. And so why not just throw it into words? And And that's where the journalism, that's where I just feel so fortunate that there's these things called sentences, you know, and these these things called words that we can just pluck enough of them and form them together that make us feel things Mm. and that's all that i was doing with that book and the biggest biggest shock is that that collection of words meant something to people and spoke to their lives as well and and i got shocked at how many people are on the fringes of australia you know feel like the outsiders and and in those communities going wow thank you for speaking of the sort of red brick 
public housing world that I know. And mm. um, and I was I was really yeah incredibly honoured. I feel like I was put on this planet to sort of write that. Yeah, and that, now everyone knows about that little town in Brisbane. <laughs> oh, you're so right. That's yeah. so sweet. I went back to, oh, man, I can't even tell you. I went back to Dara. Dara is this amazing multicultural community. And, you know, I lived there for six years and I went back to this little school and these kids. So I went, it was like year one to six or something, right? Like mm-hmm. this little school, primary school in Dara. And they've had these Netflix vans in their in their little home <laughs> suburb doing the adaptation of Boy Swallows Universe. Mm-hmm. And all I had to say was the word Netflix, and they screamed like Harry Styles walked into the into the room, Sahani. And uh, and what I said to them though, I just said, please believe me. I, I said the kid in um, like strong Vietnamese community, right, and Sudanese and Afghan community. So I'm and I'm I'm saying the kid. In Boy Swallows Universe, his best friend, Darren Dang, he's Vietnamese and these Vietnamese kids jumped up and they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then I was just like, and then I just said, please believe me that Australia, that your yours are the voices that Australia not just needs to hear, they want to hear. Like mm-hmm. it's like, and there is no reason why your voice from Dara is not as important as a London voice or a Parisian voice mm-hmm. Or a New York voice, and and I'm telling you, we left that whole thing, and I'm just like, you know, get your Netflix things because you're about to get your subscriptions going because you're about to see your home suburb on mm. screen to 150 countries across the world, and it's just like, it's the most amazing thing, and you know, you start to believe in all that cheesy stuff like dreams can come true. It's mm. like you start to feel it and go, all right, I'm going to start <laughs> talking about that. Like I never bought any of that stuff, you know, mm. believe it and all that, like. I don't know. I was talking to those kids, and I'm started. I started to tell them things like, "Believe it. You know, you you actually can do some pretty cool things. Mm. It doesn't matter where you're coming from." Yeah, even your latest book, Lola in the Mirror, is set in Brisbane, and obviously there's multiple appearances of Brisbane in your writing. What do you love about Brisbane? It's generally the thing that saved me. Like it was, um, and it's in my DNA. Like it's, oh, for example, like Lola very strong theme of that is a mum on the run escaping a monster it's this sort of the whole thing the whole thing the whole opening sentence of the book is my mother danced the tyrannosaurus waltz and mm. what i'm talking about is that horrific dance that some mums have to do in kitchens inside australian homes and uh, with monsters who have pretended to love them mm. and uh the whole story is about a mum who's sort of on the run with a nameless 17 year old girl and they've been on the run for 17 years the mum hasn't told the daughter her name because names are dangerous for girls on the lamb. Like the the authorities might come in if the if the mm. girl lets slip her name, and um, child protection might come in, police might come in. So they're sort of kind of bouncing around Australia. They found this community among uh, a homeless family of citizens who who don't have family themselves, and they've formed a family by the river. Well, all of that is just one example of why I love Brisbane. You know, my mum's going through. You know, this is the 90s by now, and like we're not even talking Boy Swallows Universe stuff. I'm talking like almost post Boy Swallows Universe stuff. My mum's battling with her own monster of a kind, right? Mm. She makes her escape, and the city of Brisbane is wraps its arms around her. You know, she she's either got homelessness or she can go to a domestic violence shelter. This is real life, and I love that city so freaking much because. There were five women in a shelter, like five just amazing women who run this shelter in the suburbs, this nameless shelter who my mum could find sanctuary in and then get back on her feet, get a house and then Lifeline in Brisbane, they furnish that house Mm. and then there's an employment agency in, in Brisbane that helps her get a job. 
you know, it's just like that's all just that's what I talk about community. Like a mm. like a city can have a heartbeat in itself, and a, a city can wrap its arms around someone and and it's like i love it for that like that's just one really micro reason and then don't even get me started on every suburb that i've ever lived in in that place and i wanted to write lola don't get me wrong about any of those darker themes in lola it's an absolute love story and a story of hope and light and um the power of finding love wherever you can and at the heart of it is it's about a girl who feels incredibly invisible and the girl finds a young man who sees her and the power of seeing someone who feels invisible is, is a really beautiful thing. And the whole message of the book is no one's invisible. But like that all comes from me walking around that, the streets of that city, mm. interviewing every person from every walk of life in that city and mm. just getting their stories and just chucking them down in, into my belly and then just, you know, coughing it all back up as stories. And so... Yeah, but and then don't even get me started on what Brisbane did for my dad in terms of there were times when he's raising us, us four boys, my three older brothers and I, you know, and we're renting houses for like less than $100 a week, you know, and that's just because of, you know, well, it's because of an Australian government that is compassionate and can understand the fact that there are times when families need assistance, you know, and it's like, I just love, uh, you know, so that's just the country I love, you know, for that. But then that just, you know, that could branch down into the, your local housing commission, you know, in Brisbane that's looking after a dad who's battling and, uh, you know, just trying to get his four kids to school and stuff. So it's sort of so multifaceted. That's why I say it's like the city saved me, you know. Essentially, you just need a place to read Stormboy. You know, you just need a place to read Harry Potter. You know, you just... A kid just needs a place and then if they've got that place, then they'll start reading Geraldine Brooks. And you know what I mean? It's like, and the the city of Brisbane gave me those places, you know, and, you know, and I feel for any of those, we've got, we've got families living in cars back in Brisbane and I'm, I'm sure Melbourne has them. I'm sure every major city has them in Australia where, and they're, they're parked at the 7-Elevens because that's where the 24-7 CCTV Mm. is and very hard to read Stormboy in, in a parking lot in 7-Eleven, you know, and it's like... We gotta, we gotta help those kids enable them to read Harry Potter. You know, they should be reading Harry Potter under a beautiful lamplight in a soft carpeted room. You know, and yeah. it's like, it's not the case for a lot of families these days in Brisbane. We got, we got the tents back in our major park in South Brisbane called Musgrave Park. The tents are back, and the problem of homelessness is so strong now. The government's not even telling them to move on like they used to because they're saying mm. to them, "Sorry, we have no no alternatives. So this is all you got now. So yeah. we're working on it, but I'm sorry, it's a two year wait." So. All of that stuff, yeah, that's the city of Brisbane for me. Sorry, long answer, Sahani. No, no, it's Longest okay. answer ever. You're the best for being clearly, so patient. No, but you clearly love Brisbane. There's a lot of reasons there. <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, all you needed was like, oh, the weather's good. <laughs> you touched on that you interviewed like quite a few people in yeah. Brisbane to get your stories out there. And I saw that it was in the author's note as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was there one in particular that inspired Lola? Oh, I'll tell you this one thing that happened. There was, there was many, but a very profound one. Um, I got invited to do a talk at a university mm. in Queensland. And it was just a journalism talk. It was all about, you know, how much I love journalism or inspiring journalism students or something. And a lot of the academics from this uh, university took me out to dinner. And at this dinner, a mum came up, who was friends of these academics, came up to me and said... Uh, Trent, I'm thinking about taking my kids. There was a, a custody battle and she was worried for her kids. And she said, Trent, I'm thinking about taking my kids and going on the run. Mm. Like she just told me that. And I was like, what? Like 
she didn't know me. She knew I was a journalist and I wrote, and I think she wanted me to maybe do a story. Mm. And I was just like, oh, you know, I hope you really strongly, you know, think about this and I hope you've really thought about the repercussions of that. And I just remember I was, I was um, at work and a month later um, she did it. She, be- she became kind of national news. And it just always stayed with me, just the thought of a mum doing that. And she went on the run for some time and it became a new story. And um, it was a highly complex matter. And I, I'd, I'd touch on it very lightly. I only bring it up because mm-hmm. it's, you asked me, like, what was a significant moment? And they're this type of moments that can happen as a journalist where you just go, that's... That's a profound moment of someone in a moment of just extreme complexity and, and desperation where she's been moved to feel as though she needs to take her kids on the run across Australia. And she went sort of hiding out for a bit and, and she got found and and then, you know, had to had to sort of face the, the repercussions and it was incredibly yeah. intense. And and that just always stayed with me, this idea of, you know, just a, just the idea the notion of a mum kind of bouncing around Australia. Mm hiding out, trying to still school and teach her children. And it was just a remarkable situation. I wrote a whole story about it for the Weekend Oz Mag. But, so that was a really inspiring moment. But then more for the characters of Lola, I spent about 10 years documenting this one particular homeless shelter in my home city, Brisbane. It's a place called Third Space. Mm. And it's been around for about 50 years, serving 3,500 meals to Brisbane's homeless every month. And it's just this extraordinary place. It's like if if you want to know about any issue that Australia is facing, like, and you want to gauge how good we are going as a country, you can go down to Third Space at eight thirty a.m. and and just check on things. And it's um everything we face: mental health, um, joblessness, houselessness, everything, drug and alcohol issues. Everything meets at the gates of Third Space, and it was such an honour in those sort of ten years to kind of duck in and out and documenting this place. And so many of the characters that are in Lola were just formed from sketches of these people and things these people told me over the years. Mm. Um, there's a strong character in the book called Rosalind, and she just comes from this incredible woman, Mary, who just sat me down once and said, what the hell's wrong with you? You keep writing about the darkness of the streets. When are you going to write about the light? When you're going to write about the love and the community and the hope that exists, Mm. you're looking at it all wrong. You're looking at this world from the perspective of a father of two who gets to go home every night to his wife and two kids. Mm. You got to look at it from my perspective that all I've got is these people and all I see is love. I don't see, I don't see what you see. You're, you see the foot sores all the time and you see the skeletal problems. All I see is love. And it was like, that was Mary, and I was just like, man, that stayed with me right through Lola, and mm. there's a lot of love in Lola in the Mirror, and I want to thank Mary for that, yeah. Mm. There are a lot of perspectives you could have written Lola in the Mirror in, but you've chosen to write it from the perspective of a child. <laughs> you look so eager to answer this question. Oh, do I? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Why, why do you think that lens is so powerful to communicate yeah. these social issues? Oh, that's that's just 12-year-old me. That's me thinking back on how scared I was sometimes that we were on that knife edge, you know. Like, And I go back and I was just telling you about dad rented this house for $100 a week. It's like in 2023, we probably wouldn't have gotten that house. Rightly so. It would go to a – we were four able-bodied teenage boys mm-hmm. um, with an able-bodied father. It would go to a, hopefully a single mum – families with disabilities rightly so and and we'd be on the waiting list we'd be we'd be the two-year waiters you know and i don't know what we would have done so there's that but also the power of i just i get extremely moved by these australian kids i've interviewed 
you know, a lot of them over the years where you, you know they've got the trauma, you know they've got deep trauma. I'm not just talking Boy Swallows Universe stuff, which is just sort of, it's nothing by comparison to some of the stuff I've written about and interviewed young kids about. You know, I'm talking about a 10-year-old girl hula hooping in the backyard and she's loving the hula hoop because it's helping her not think about the fact she lost three members of her family the night before. Mm-hmm. And that kind of Australian youth spirit is just incredibly powerful to me. And mm-hmm. But it's also my daughter's Sahani. Like my daughters are 16 and 14 now. If you track back my books, it's like my eldest daughter was about Eli Bell's age from Boy Swallows Universe. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I wrote All Ashramming Skies, my daughter was about Molly Hook's age. And by the time of Lola, you know, my daughter's about to be 17, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's weird. And I think this this is the end of my kind of my youth trilogy. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of done. It's weird. It's like, and, I, and now I really want to write about some things I know about adults I'm I'm just listening to my daughters and I'm just trying to sort of write these things that maybe they I'm trying to sort of give every fatherly it's almost like the stuff I should be just telling them mm-hmm. like it's I feel like am I doing it the wrong way where I'm like I spend eight hours a day down in my like it's not even an office it's like our rumpus room it's like the kids rumpus room and well they don't even use it now because all they do is like TikTok and stuff but it's <laughs> yeah. like that's where I write and I'm like I should be just upstairs telling them these themes that I'm trying to sort of fill these stories with. And uh, so I just hope one day they they read these things and realize they actually come from their blood. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like these stories come from their grandma's blood and that blood's inside them. And it's like all of these characters, it's like, please know this is, these characters are like my, you know, the stuff my mum's told me about what she was like at 17, you know? And it's like all of these youth characters come from that place and and also me trying to sort of listen to them and it's me trying to go I want you to know that I do see you girls from the inside out like I I Mm. do try and approach them just like a character you're writing a young female character it's just the same way dads could really do well by listening to their kids think from you know from the heart inside them first and Mm. and go to the brain and and then when you're ready listen to the things that are coming out of their mouths you know and well that's how I tried to write Lola too you know I was like that's the nameless girl in my... That's how I tried to write the character in Lola. Is like, mm. okay, what's her heart? Where's she coming from? And, you know, there's no mistake. Like, she loves Taylor Swift, just like my daughters do. <laughs> um, you know, it's just all these things. It's so funny that I'm just wedging all this stuff in there. It's truth, you know. That's my truth. That's the truth I know best is the truth of my daughters. And um, that's the thing I'm faced with on a daily basis. And I'm just getting so much information about life from the wonder of those 16 and 14-year-old teenage girls. Mm, that's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> so, like you said, the young girl in this story is nameless. Yeah. And there's a passage where she's really fascinated by the story behind people's names, which yeah. made me think, is there a story behind the names of your daughters? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's what's the story behind your name first? Can I ask oh, that? Oh, God. If you ask you my mum and dad, they say completely different stories. What do they say? What do they, yeah. Well, like my mum just said she got it from like a book, like a book yeah. of baby names. So it's very yeah. like, she's like, I think it means gold. And then my dad said, I think it means beautiful, but your middle name is from a song. And he, he chose that one. So he'd prefer to tell that story. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, what's, what about your daughter's? I've always loved the name Beth. It's just a beautiful name. It's sort of, and her name's Elizabeth, but it, it's, 
It's just a name. It's my both my wife and I settled on it, and it's sort of just a it's just a name we're very proud of in terms of just. Uh, it's so funny though. There's a connection for me. It's so embarrassing. This is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, I'll say it. There's a loose connection for me that like I'm this I'm this Pearl Jam nut. I'm, this is like saying Wait, what? Pearl Pearl Jam. You know oh, the, the band. band. Yeah, yeah, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Yeah, like yeah. that's my. You know, I'm just showing my age totally there, Sahani. <laughs> no, no, I know who Pearl Jam is. Lead singer of Pearl Jam. <laughs> Eddie yeah. Vedder, his, his first wife was named Beth. And ever since I was oh. a boy, I was like, that's a beautiful name. That's not why we named our <laughs> beautiful daughter Beth. We didn't just name, but my wife loved that name as well. And it's so deep now, the power of names. Like, I hear anyone named that name and I just, I even care about them. Mm. It's so weird. I tell them, I'm like, hey, have you been Beth at being <laughs> Beth? How's that name been for you, Beth? total stranger you know and they might be 56 years old and like how's your life been beth because mm. i've got this amazing beth yeah and my other daughter's name's sylvie and it, oh, it's like a nice name. oh i love that name and um yeah it's it's forest it means forest and yeah. it's um it could not be a more appropriate name for a girl who is just growing and strong and vibrant and rich and earthy and uh well is my sanctuary you know so mm. it's um it's perfect perfect for her but yeah that that whole thing about names it it taps into the whole mirror thing like yeah. I, I got hooked on this sort of idea that we do this thing every morning right that we just never consider we, we give it about a minute's thought and it's the most terrifying confronting thing we might do every day it's just looking in the mirror and you know we sometimes if you really go to the truth of that you go inside that person who's staring back at you and you're like Okay, firstly, how the hell did you get here? Like, who the heck are you? And then you start to see, like, all the mistakes, all the things you need to correct. Or if, you, if you're kind to yourself, you're seeing all the successes and all the things you did right and all the sweet things you did mm. yesterday. But, but who is that person? So is that person those mistakes? Is that person those successes? Is that person the, the past? that that person can see in the mirror or is that person in fact you know in my case the guy who's going to go out into the kitchen and make lunch for those daughters i'm just telling you about and it's like yeah "Yeah, all right i'll I'll, I'll choose that you know And, and that's what my whole book's about it's all about a girl who's who's trying to find a powerful version of herself. Mm. And, and she gets assistance with this mirror, this, this girl Lola in the mirror, this, this incredible version of a woman that this girl sees. It's just like, wow, she's almost going like, I wouldn't mind being her. Mm. This exotic girl in a red dress who keeps telling her the truth of her past and her present, but also keeps filling her with promise and potential. Mm. And it's like, that's really cool. You know, like it's like, because there were times in my life where I looked in the mirror as a kid and I was like, I just absolutely didn't like what I saw, Sahani. Like it was just, you know, pretty sad at times. And, uh, you know, but then it came to a point where I was like, no, I don't mind that. I don't mind what I'm seeing now. And that was when I, you know, I started to met my wife and I, and I got a job and I started sort of smiling into the mirror and just going, yeah, man, look at this life you've got. Look at this guy. He's, he's going okay. And yeah, so it's all, it's all tied up into that thing called identity. And mm-hmm. there's a thing in homelessness where um, it's actually people's jobs in homeless shelters. If there's enough funding, people are designated officers who help people in the street just prove who they are, like literally get their identity. Mm. It's very hard getting your identity if you have no ID. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that it's, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And the girl in the book says it's like trying to 
go to sleep with your eyes open. It's like, it's, and it's true. It's like just literally trying to prove you, who you are can be a very difficult thing. And yeah. so I filled all of that into Lola as well and it mm. let it be a search for her own identity. And what if I could write a book where we don't even find out who she is until the very last sentence of the book? And I was like, oh, that could be cool. That could be a cool book, yeah. Yeah, there are so many complex themes in this book and metaphors. Oh. Mm. Like I feel like, because the nameless girl looks into the mirror. Yeah. Like she sees like all her aspirations as well. Yes, yeah. And the part where like she feels really invisible and then actually literally thinks she's invisible was yeah. really sad to read. Oh, you're so but- <laughs> beautiful to feel that, Sahani. Thank you. Yeah. But like there's so much going on. What message are you hoping people take away when they finish the book? I hope they take away there are people, there's people out there, right? And they suffer these issues we face, particularly the 120,000 people sleeping rough each night, it comes down to two emotions, confusion and sorrow. And are you or is anyone going to be a person who exploits confusion or sorrow? Or are you going to be a person who can collectively wrap their arms around a person who's consistently feeling confusion and sorrow? Mm. So those two emotions, man, I feel them all the time. I feel I'm, I'm always wrapped up in some sort of confusion sometimes feeling some deep sorrow but I'm so freaking lucky that I don't have to feel that on a daily basis a lot of those people out on the street are feeling those two things on a 24-7 basis and and I'm just trying to sort of I tried to write a book that said you know we are more than our individual selves you know we, we are part of a system of things that can wrap its arms around strangers you know in, in a way I'm not saying you have to go up and give a you know, someone sleeping in the street, a big hug, but it's, it's about compassion and it's about choosing to live in a world where um, giving and selflessness is just a part of living and, and part of a community spirit that, that is really important. And But yeah, most mostly like it's two words, like it was in Boy Swallows Universe, the, the editor's always telling Eli, you know, sum up your life in three words and the kid, he, the kid lands on um, the words Boy Swallows Universe. It's like, mm-hmm. that's my life story. Well, this, the story of this can be summed up in two words, and it's nobody's invisible. Nobody's invisible. And, uh, yeah, that scene you're talking about, that, and it's like I found it really harrowing writing it. She's poor girls just standing in the street screaming, I am not invisible. And it felt so real. Like, that would happen. <laughs> like, I actually believed it when I, I was know, reading right? it. Who would yeah. stop? No one's going to look. You know, yeah. what, what do you do? People would think she's having a mental health moment. Exactly. She's just calling out a truth. She's just mm-hmm. like, and then she's like, she's like, I am invisible. Oh, I am invisible. And it mm. and actually plays out into the climax. And it's like, oh, kid, please don't think you're actually invisible. You know, yeah. that's not going to be your safety net. And I was like, oh, wow, that could be a really beautiful kind of sort of a metaphor that can meet in a storytelling sense right at the back end of the book. And it became a very powerful thing. And, and this is where love comes in, though, right? Mm-hmm. You know, don't we so much love those people who see us? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like... My wife, Fiona, is so deeply complex, Sahani, like in terms of her, the way she sees me, you know, it's so different to like everybody else. There's like the whole world can see me one way and it's so wonderful. You know, I'm talking to you about like looking into the mirror. Well, it's so wonderful when your wife comes in and joins you in the mirror. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like there could not be a better kind of, you know, story of who you are. Mm. You know what I mean? When you let someone share the mirror with you. And she's like, yeah, I know you're looking at yourself and seeing all that crap, mm. but I'm looking, I'm here with my hand on your shoulder going, nah, you're doing all right. You know, yeah. it's like, nah, don't get me all, I'm getting emotional, sorry <laughs> what I'm saying, but, um, but it's true, you know, and, and that's, 
that's being fully seen, you know, and, and, it, and it's a really nice feeling. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is if there's any message to the book, it's just nobody's invisible. Everybody mm. wants to be seen. Before we wrap up talking about Lola in the Mirror, I yeah, have to yeah. mention the sketches oh. that you included by Paul Heppel. Paul Heppel. Yeah, I just, what made you want to include them? Sometimes these sort of ideas, like the opening sentence of Boy Swallows Universe, your end is a dead blue wren. Like that was just a gift from the universe. It just pops in like an electrical charge. And I just had this idea. I knew I knew I wanted her, my main character, to draw, to sort of have a way of processing trauma. And mm. she uses ink sketches to kind of process her strange world. And, yeah. and, the, and, and the monsters I'm telling you about, she gives them like Tyrannosaurus Rex heads mm. to define her father, you know, that she, this, through the story she's heard about her father, she gives, a, gives him a Tyrannosaurus Rex head and she gives him mama lion's head. And, and I just thought well, that would be amazing. And then I had this brainwave of there's a whole tricky magical thinking process in the book where the kid thinks she has this thought process where she believes that she's going to be significant 100 years from now. Mm. So everything she does in the now in 2023 in which the book is set, she has to make every moment significant because it's going to be read about or talked about 100 years from now. So what if you lived your life as if that was a definite? Mm. So every boy you met would be significant. And so everything you said to that boy should be thought about and every word should be used to um, its greatest effect. And so to illustrate that thought process, I had these gallery cards idea of like, what if what if we opened each chapter as if it was an artwork and then a curatorial note that you might see in an art gallery? And it will just sort of be in that that sort of uh, highfalutin kind of art gallery voice where it's like the artist was 17 years old and, you know, and yeah. that type of thing. And that gives you a, f- that flags the coming narrative, all the stuff you're going to hear. I'm like, okay, well now I need someone who can draw because <laughs> yes. I can't draw. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember this incredible man named Paul Heppel. He lives in Sydney, amazing father of three. And he's just a beautiful man who he sketched one day, Sahani. He did a sketch of Eli Bell and Slim Halliday from Boy Swallows Universe. And mm. it's a really tender scene. He read that book and he just sketched it. And uh, his wife posted to, sent it, like tagged me in on it on yeah. Instagram, right? And she goes, Trent needs to, you know, you should send it to that author guy. And I was so moved by this. And uh, they did a stage adaptation of Boy Swallows Universe up in Queensland and I needed a gift for the lead actor, this amazing actor named Joe Klotzek. And because uh, he just gave, he bled for this role for six weeks. And I phoned Paul up and tracked him, you know, I was like, hey, Paul, um, do you mind if I print out that beautiful sketch you did and I'll frame it and give it to Joe as a thank you? In that conversation, I just said, hey, if I ever have art in my books, you know, I'd love to work with you sometime. And I call up and I'm, I call Paul, I'm writing Lola. It was early days. And I just said, I described this nameless hero, right? This nameless 17-year-old girl. And all I said was two words, Sahani. I said, she draws. And he goes, train them in. <laughs> and it was so freaking beautiful. And that was one of the most fulfilling creative partnerships I've ever had in my life. We, I would send him chapter by chapter. And I have little notes, like I think this one could open with uh, a mom in a billabong jumper. She's got a lion's head because that's the way the girl sees her. And... Brisbane is monstrous. Brisbane mm-hmm. is terrifying. Or you know, and he'd send back the most incredible drawings, and uh, he became Lola. He became the girl. He became our hero. Like it was so bizarre. Like he he was obsessed. It was like um, you know, it was he was sort of a mad professor. Like it was so mm-hmm. unbelievable watching him sort of work, and he'd write these sweeping essays about 
where a drawing came from and it's been so wonderful to see readers not just reading that story and getting something out of it but getting so much out of Paul's illustrations yeah they're they're dark as heck but they're beautiful you know and mm. there's a line that the girl says in the book and it's at the heart you know okay you asked me before what, here's another deep message that I'm trying to get at she comes to this realization that there is no pen that has been invented that can draw light on a white piece of paper like mm. It, you cannot draw light on a piece of paper with a black ink pen. You know what I mean? It's sort of impossible. It's very hard to do. The only way you can do it is enhance the darkness. You, mm. you, the light comes from the darkness that you place around it. Mm. You know, and it's like that's kind of the story of my life. That's, that's <laughs> the story of my thinking. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's a very strong theme in my own life, and it's certainly one of the strongest themes in Lola in the Mirror. Mm. And a lot of the illustrations, if not all of them, are very like very fantastical elements of totally, the writing. Totally. Um, and I find that genre, I think it's called magical realism, mm. is really hard to pull off. Mm. Uh, what drew you to that? I'm telling you, so when I was a kid, you know, there's just been a big night the night before, and there's a hole in the fibro, and there's like, you know, there's a blood stain over here. And I'm looking out this, all these housing commission homes all had this big sweeping front window and it was so hot in Brisbane, you'd always, you'd just have no curtains and you'd just, it'd be just an open window. And, and all of these open windows in all these red brick housing commission homes, they, they became like theatre stages. You could easily look into the neighbour's window and you see what's going on in their world and you walk down the street and you see, you see fights going on in their world. And, but I'm, I'm telling you, like I just, I spent my whole childhood looking for rainbows out that window or looking yeah. for golden orb weaver spiders building webs, you know, like in magical realism, it's not even, it's not, it's just, it's just, it's just realism for me. Like it's reality. Like it's like that, that magical stuff. It's, and it's so true for so many, like anyone who's sort of had to kind of think out of that stuff mm. and escape from it through books. Books are like the best way. Films, music does it too. Mm. That side of my life, I consider the magical thinking part of the realism, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, kids have the imagination to think like that. Yeah. That's it. So that's yeah. real. So that's part of their reality. That's yeah. part of their life, mm. you know, and that's exactly right. Kids having the imagination to think outside of their own existing story, yeah. you know, that's mm. such an important thing. It's abstract thinking because if they don't have that, mm. then all they have is the blood on the wall. Yeah. And they've got to have more than that. And that's why my stories have more than that as well. No, that's really beautiful. We talked about this before the interview started, but Boys Follows Universe is coming up on Netflix and I'm very excited. <laughs> and you said that you've already watched it, the series. Oh. Is there anything you can tell us? Oh, I can tell you everything. It's like, <laughs> stop me. Stop me, son, honey. Like, shut me up. I'm sorry if, if I rattle on. What they do when you're lucky enough to sort of be, you know, I'm an executive producer, which is like, I don't know what that quite means, but it just means they're being very kind and giving me a title of a sort. And uh, I mean, you wrote the book. You oh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I should get something. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so they funny. do have that up out there, actually. That, I tell you, that was one of the best bits, too. They cut to the credits, and then it's like, directed by starring and then it's like based on the book by Trent Dalton and we're like yeah, yeah. <laughs> two cool things happened uh, so many cool things the first <laughs> coolest thing so what happens is they plug your Netflix feed they can give you these preview like Netflix HQ can like upload the preview episodes li literally onto your Netflix feed so it comes yeah. up on your telly and if you typed in the word boy Boyswell's Universe tile came up 
right next to my daughter's favourite show to all the boys I've loved before. <laughs> do you know that stuff? I love that show too. Oh, do you love, <laughs> yeah. Like they, I think most people would. <laughs> they can sit down and go word for word with you. Like they're like, and it came up right beside. And they're like, Dad, look, it's right near to all the boys I loved before. So that was the That's first cool, cool thing. That was the first cool thing. Then, okay, then we play it. Okay, and then there's like, you know, megastar, actress, model, Phoebe Tonkin playing this kind of version of my yes. mum. And there's Travis Fimmel from Vikings playing this version of this guy I'm telling you about, mm. Lyle, the sort of heroin dealer guy mm-hmm. who went away. And there's this kid, Felix Cameron, right? And I'm telling you, Sahani, he, he is just the sweetest bag of bones, beautiful boy. And I remember going on set. I'll tell you, I went on set. The first time I went on set, they'd recreated like the, the, all that stuff in that book, like that's all real. That like I, my brothers and I saw the secret room, and that was all real. And the mm-hmm. red telephone, that was. But they they went out to the actual place, took photos, documented the whole thing, rebuilt it, and then said, "Hey Trent, come along and step back into your brain, like physically step into your memory." Oh my god! <laughs> and I walked in. I was with my wife. Walked into the house, and there's Felix playing Eli Bell, who's a totally kind of a version of me, and he was wearing the exact sky blue school uniform that I wore, black shoes, mm. peanut butter, toasted pieces of sliced toast in his um, hand, doing a scene with Travis Fimmel and Phoebe and beautiful Lee. This boy who plays Gus, he's incredible. And I just walked in, it was all these sound people, all these tech people, and I just I started like I just burst into like I was I was crying, mate. I was just like and I and I walked up and I grabbed Felix and I said, Are you are you good? <laughs> yeah, can you believe that? <laughs> that is really sweet. <laughs> can you believe that? I know. I was like, Are you are you like are you okay? And he's mm. like, Hey, hey, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm an actor just filming a scene, <laughs> you know, and it was just so sweet and, and he's just like, Yeah, no, I'm good. Like he was like this kid was so beautiful and what I was I think I was like it really shook me, and but I think what I was doing was almost like I was saying like, talk to my old self. Like mm. I know I know what's to come, you know. And I'm just sort of going like, you're gonna be alright. Like I was saying mm. it to him, you know. But I'm sort of saying it to like twelve year old me. It was so profound. But yeah, and so then we're watching, and then Simon Baker, you know, this amazingly mm. handsome actor who you know has taken somewhat of a glow down to play my beautiful, beautiful dad, but. <laughs> puts on a beer belly and everything but he's just acting out of his skin and there's a scene where see my dad died and and like he died of emphysema like too many durries but he never got to really read like he he knew i was sort of writing this epic i was going to one day but he never mm-hmm. got to read boy Swallow's universe mm-hmm. one of the great tragedies of that book he's the he just loves books more than like, all he did all day was smoke oh. and read books like all he did and uh and my daughters didn't get to know their papa that well like you know he died when they were probably like 10 or something and and now they're 16 and 14 and they're watching sort of papa through simon baker yeah and simon baker's weeping for the love that he lost, which was their grandma. Mm. And Beth just starts weeping. Like she just goes like, the tears just come down because she's seen seen her granddad essentially. And uh, and I grabbed her hands, like I leaned over and I grabbed her fingers and I said, hey, 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 is it it too sad? We'll stop it. And then she turns to me and goes, nah, dad, it's too beautiful. Oh. Yeah, that's what that show is and that's what it did 
for me, you know, and and it, and it's just remarkable. If you were alive in um, Australia in the 1980s, um, I was not. <laughs> I'm, I was not. You're, st- you're still going to enjoy. It. You're still going to love. It. But it, but it's a. I'm telling you, they've captured something. They've captured something I've never seen before on screen. And there's a there's a color of the there's a richness and a and a and a swing for the fence. I've never seen a production swing for the fence like this show. And um, but yeah, that's all I keep thinking about is just the unexpected full circle things it has given my immediate family. Like I'm mm. talking about the four people in my house, you know, it's just, it was profound. Yeah. And so, I'm sure it's going to touch so many other people as well now. Oh, uh, that's what I love too. You know, there, there are, you know, yeah, a lot of people who just, you know, just don't read books. And so it's sort of nice, mm. you know, that they will still be able to consume that story in, in a way that they're so comfortable with, yeah. you know, just through the world of television, you know, and it's like wild. It's, um, you know, they were just hilarious, funny things as well. Like there's this famous, you know, one of the best moments, you know, just I, I just have so many memories that have come from that. But I'll just tell you one. So Simon Baker related. There were these four women who'd, who'd knock off work each day, right? And they, they'd, we were filming in this just suburban street in a place called Wavell Heights in Brisbane, recreating my other home, like my dad's house in Bracken Ridge, right? Mm-hmm. And Simon Baker, this, you know, big Hollywood actor, he's playing sort of this character and he has to just keep walking back in and out of this house. So he's sort of on public display, right? And so these four women started to realize like every afternoon they start laying out their garden chairs on the nature strip yeah. out in front of their house and they'd pour pink gin and just sit and just watch Simon <laughs> Baker walk back and forth inside the house. And it was just like those little mini gifts to, uh, you know, to um, the wider world that that show is bringing have, have been amazing as well. Yeah. That's very cute. <laughs> it's funny. I would do that. <laughs> I know, I know. I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to join them one day. Yeah. So to conclude the interview, I wanted to do a little quick fire round of questions. Oh, I love quick fire rounds. I love, yeah. <laughs> the first question is, what are you currently reading? Wifedom. Wifedom by Anna, Anna Funda. Funda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she's possibly the best Australian fiction writer and the best Australian non-fiction writer. All is in, she Australian? All, all in one human being. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stra- I yeah. Yeah, yeah, I read um, her other book, Stasiland. Oh, isn't Stasiland? Talk Brilliant. about journalism. Like the, her form of, Stasiland was deeply inspiring to me about you can write journalism and, and make it as riveting as... Mm as a Robert Ludlum thriller, you know, and it's just like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, she's incredible, yeah. Roughly how many books do you read every year? Oh, I'm terrible. I'd, I'd be lucky to do um, 10. Like, it's oh, terrible. It's so bad. That's like, really surprising. No, it's because I, I probably, like, sometimes I feel like, I, yeah, it's, it's, I'm so absorbed in the writing, like I'm in yeah. my own writing, mm-hmm. and, I, and I find it really hard to sort of, even when I'm reading someone else's book, I'm mm-hmm. going, I'm coming up with ideas in my head. Yeah. And the process just, oh, sorry, okay, if, okay, I reckon it'd probably be like 20 if I can include audiobooks. Oh, yeah, for okay, sure. Tw- okay, 20. Definitely included. All right, 20. Yeah, 20. Yeah. My um, Audible account has just become this incredible saviour to my reading because mm. I realised, oh, man, I can do the dishes while, I'm, you know, <laughs> and I just do a lot of good crime books on Audible. I don't do anything like kind of deep literature on Audible, but I do um, I do a lot of great crime and uh, thrillers mm. like um, Dennis Lehane books and um, Elmore Leonard books and stuff. Mm. I do that type of stuff on Audible and I've really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, so some of the best 
listens I've had are like the Black Dahlia recently was epic and amazing and um, Shutter Island I did recently was amazing on Audible but also mm. great non-fiction books like I do a lot of movie sort of books um, like just history of Hollywood type books oh, like cool. Hollywood noir type stuff and um, I do a lot of that on Audible as well and, and that's really fun but also um, yeah just a lot of journalism as well so it's like mm. yeah. What book would you recommend to a friend going through a hard time? Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I don't know if anyone ever remembers this book. My wife gave me this book. It was a book called Four Letters of Love. Uh, I can't even remember who writes. It's Niall someone. And she gave me that book early days. Like, in, It's a beautiful book, and it's sort of um, – but it's about it's, – it's just that deep, heartfelt, like, make you feel good. And it's about characters going through an incredibly hard time. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really great question, but it's called Four Letters of Love. And uh, I always remember that book as a book that if you want to feel like by the end of it, just like raised up, feel the spirit of um, compassion and love – you know, I wrote a whole book on called Love Stories about, you know, where I'm at with love. And, like, I know I sound so cheeseball, I know, but I'm telling you that thing is incredible. That concept of that that thing we call love is what it's all about. That's what this guy is, is sort of doing with that book as well. Yeah, and I, and I would actually recommend Love Stories. Like, I would actually like, – I know that's ridiculous, but it's like I'm not saying it because of anything I wrote. I'm saying it because of the things that people told me. Mm. And that's my go-to book. Like, I go to that book to go, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll listen to Kerry Shepard talk about her late husband, Chris, yeah. and the things he did before tragedy sort of landed. He was, you know, faced the worst kind of tragedy. And, uh, and so it's, yeah, human beings telling true stories about how they – went through the darkness. That's the mm. sort of go-to I'd, I'd probably give someone, you know, so we can all remember that we have these blips. Sometimes the blip can last too long. Sometimes the blip only lasts a week and sort of just remembering that the light is coming always, you know. Mm. Yeah. I might just say the book that you referenced earlier, Four Letters of Love, is by Niall Williams. Niall Williams. Thank you so yeah. much, Sahani. Yeah, great. Niall Williams. Yeah, it's beautiful. And my last one is what book deserves more hype than it gets? Oh, wow. Um, Plum by Brendan Cowell. Yeah, he he wrote this amazing – it got a lot of hype um, a couple of years back, but it's a great read. He's an you know, amazing Australian actor who switched to – you know he's an amazing author as well. And I sort of read that book a while back, and it's got this amazing sort of football-playing kind of Cronulla guy, Aussie guy, who just has this deep tenderness to him and starts talking to Sylvia Plath about halfway through the book. And it just takes this, and he just starts doing these amazing conversations. He's sort of a poet, this guy. So he's a footy playing poet. That is not where I thought you were going to go with that. (laughs) I know, but that's everything. Like it's sort of, it's kind of everything. Brendan and I have talked about it, sort of everything we both love. It's like we're both these rugby league tragics, but (laughs) you can be that, right? You can be that and still love Sylvia Plath. You know what I mean? And that's what I love where Brendan's at and that's where this guy's at, Plum, the character in in that book is at too. So, yeah, I just always sort of, yeah, I just felt like it didn't quite um, get, you know, enough hype, but it got Mm. enough, it got a bit of hype, but it's like, yeah, it's always um, one that sort of springs to mind when I'm like, yeah, that, that one should be thrown around heaps more. Thank you for taking the time to do this interview and for writing such an important book. Oh, thank you. Sahani, <sighs> can I just say you're amazing. Everything you do here is incredible and oh. the past hour has just been really beautiful. So thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Shameless Book Club. 
You can grab yourself a copy of Trent Dalton's latest book, Lola in the Mirror, via the link in our show notes. You can also follow us on socials by searching for The Shameless Book Club on Instagram and on TikTok. We will see you guys on the 1st of November for our book review episode on None of This Is True by Lisa Jewell. We've all whizzed through this book and I cannot wait to unpack the whole damn thing. Until then, uh, stay safe, stay hydrated. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.